This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun. And that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. Hi, it's Martha Stewart. You know, I spend a lot of time thinking about dirt. At 3 a.m.? At all hours of the day, really. What people don't know is that not all dirt is the same. You need dirt with the right kind of nutrients. New miracle Grow organic raised bed and garden soil is so dense, so full of nutrient-rich, high-quality ingredients. miracle Grow is simply the best. Welcome to True Crime Garage. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Nick, and with me as always, it's been years since he's danced the Calypso. And of course, I'm talking about the captain. Well, that's because this captain has a wooden leg with a real foot. It's good to be seen and good to see you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for telling a friend. Today, we are drinking Light Speed by Brewdog. Why? Because we are hoping and praying that this week's unsolved case gets some justice. How fast? Lightspeed fast. Lightspeed is a delicious, hazy IPA, and it's only 99 calories. And who brewed and canned this beer? You heard me correctly the first time. Brew Dog. So you know it's super quality. Garage grade three out of five bottle caps. And here are some of our friends that are super quality. First up, we have Wit in Yorktown Heights, New York. And a big shout to Pam in St. Anne, Missouri. Next, we have Jamie in Santa Rosa, California. And a big shout to Victoria. I think it's called Pomona, New York. Next, Captain, we have Kitty Tallulah in London, England. And last but certainly not least, we have Mary in Malta. Everyone we just mentioned, they helped us out with this week's beer funding for that. Well, we thank you. Yeah, 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 yeah. B-W-E-W-R-U-N. Mirun. If you need your earballs smacked around a little bit, check out our bonus show called Off the Record. It's on Stitcher Premium, only on Stitcher Premium. Also, you can find our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts, but we're also on the SiriusXM app for all you SiriusXM listeners. And Colonel, that's enough of the business. All right, everybody, gather around, grab a chair, grab a beer. Let's talk some true crime. young sisters who all died in a fire at their family home. Still unclear how the fire started. Investigators are looking at the first floor electrical system. 
girl's mother injured along with two police officers who tried to save the sisters' lives. Such an early age, such a heavy loss. I miss them. She was a single mom working very hard, and like I said, her babies were her angels. I can't imagine what she's going through. Sadly, on November 23, 2016, the Carroll County Comet ran the following report with the headline, Four Sisters Perish in Floor Fire. The article read in part, An early morning fire Monday, November 21, 2016 in Flora claimed the lives of four sisters, ages 11, 9, 7, and 5, and sent their mother and two police officers to the hospital. The victims' names have not been released. 911 was called at 3.35 a.m. to a two-unit apartment building located at 103 East Columbia Street. When emergency personnel arrived, flames were visible, according to Florida Town Marshal Paul Redman. The victims' families resided on the main level, which also includes an upstairs bedroom where the girls slept. Officers and volunteer firefighters removed the girls, who were not breathing, from the residents. Redmond said they worked hard to resuscitate them, but could not. The victim's mother was airlifted to an Indianapolis hospital for treatment. A county deputy was flown to a Fort Wayne hospital for treatment of smoke inhalation and burns to his hands and face. A Florida police officer was transported to a Lafayette hospital for treatment of smoke inhalation. The couple occupying the upstairs apartment escaped unharmed. Fire units from Delphi, Camden, Burlington, and Cutler also responded. According to Redmond, the fire was knocked down quickly. Also helping at the scene were the Carroll County Sheriff's Department, Indiana State Police, and other police units. The Indiana Department of Homeland Security and State Fire Marshal, along with local authorities, are conducting an investigation as to the cause of the fire. Redmond said the victims were students at Carroll Elementary School. Carroll's counselors, as well as others from nearby school corporations and local ministry, were available at the school to help students and staff cope with the tragedy. The comment will run dozens of articles about the fire and fatalities for the weeks and months to come. We have covered several house fires and arson stories on True Crime Garage, and unfortunately, there were fatalities in those fires as well. But stop and really think about it for a while. There are few things more terrifying than a house fire. Imagine waking in the night, the house still dark. The smell of smoke is strong. You jump out of your bed with one thought, my children. You rush from the room, only to be confronted with a wall of black smoke so thick, your eyes water, your throat burns, and your lungs seize up. The heat searing your skin to the point where you are sure that you are on fire. Screaming is impossible as you are overtaken by coughing and you stagger out the front door, choking and gasping for air. And your children are still inside. This is what happened in the middle of the night on November 21st, 2016 in Flora, Indiana. Later, we learn that this deadly house fire was no accident. This is True Crime Garage and this 
is the floor fire case. In November of 2016, little girls Keone, Kiara, Kiana, and Cariel lived with their mother, Galen Rose, in a rented apartment inside a duplex in the tiny town of Flora, Indiana. The house was situated on a corner right next to downtown Flora. This is a town of just one square mile, occupied by 2,000 residents. The small town of Flora is located in Carroll County, Indiana. The house Galen and her girls lived in, located at 103 East Columbia Street, was divided into two separate apartments. The family of five, our family that we're discussing, lived in one half, and other tenants, a mom and her two kids, occupied the other half of this duplex. Galen and her kids slept on two different floors of the home. The girls slept in bedrooms upstairs, and Galen occupied a room on the main level. The four sisters were normal little girls who loved to play outside and were big time into cheerleading. And that is an understatement. I cannot emphasize that enough. Big time into cheerleading. They were on various competitive cheering teams and they ranged in age from five to 11. So preschool age up to the sixth grade. Neighbors would later tell the media that the kids were always playing outside. They were very nice and polite children. They said the mom was friendly and would say hello. The girls loved to play with other neighborhood kids, dogs, and were always smiling and dancing. One Flora resident said they were so joyous. They were very happy girls. I've never seen them not smiling, always on the front porch waving at everybody that went by. They didn't know a stranger. Well, let's get to the details of this tragic event. Okay, Captain. So on the weekend of November 18th through the 20th, 2016, the girls had a cheer competition on that Saturday afternoon. On Sunday, Kiana, who was big into basketball, she had a game. So the five members of this family went to the grocery store and went home to eat dinner after this basketball game. And after dinner, it would be bedtime for the girls. On Sunday night, this is the 20th, the girls all went to bed around 10 p.m. upstairs in their room. Galen slept alone downstairs, so she says that she went to bed around the same time as well. But around 3.30 a.m., Galen wakes up. Here's what happened per Fox 59 News. It says everyone was asleep. The girls were upstairs and Galen was in her bedroom on the main floor. Until she said intense smoke woke her up. The whole entire house was full of smoke. I couldn't really see, Galen said. I pretty much tried to save my babies by running up the steps. I got halfway. I couldn't breathe. And I just ran out of the house to try to help. Now Galen stood in the front yard in her nightgown screaming. But other screams could be heard as well coming from inside the house. A neighbor, one of many, awakened by the sounds of the distraught mother, called 911. The first to respond was Carroll County Sheriff's Deputy Drew Yoder. He rushed into the house when Galen screamed at him that her children were still inside. He was quickly forced to retreat from the burning structure. 
Second to respond was Flora police officer Josh Dissinger. The two officers attempted to enter the home several more times, but they had to pull back each time. On another attempt, Dislinger had to pull Yoder out of the home because the smoke was so dense, the flames so hot. Later, Yoder said to the Journal and Courier, The third time is when things went bad. All I remember is waking up in the ambulance with Dissinger standing over me, telling me that everything was going to be okay. Firefighters were able to be on the scene very quickly. By the time they arrive, we have smoke and flames that are billowing from the house. Galen Rose stood on the front lawn screaming hysterically. The two law enforcement officers were down by this point, injured by their repeated attempts into the home. Right. So shortly after 3.30 a.m., we have an EMT who lived next door to the family. Her name is Angela Francis. She was awakened by the screaming. She ran out to help and was immediately, you know, thrown into the situation where she's helping and assisting anyone that she can, including the ambulances that are now arriving on the scene. We also have neighbor Chastity Fox. Her and her husband also went outside of their home that night and watched horrified as, as sadly the first responders failed to save the children. Per Fox 59, Galen Rose recalled, the ambulance man told me that my babies was no longer here. And after that moment, I don't remember anything. Galen was sedated and airlifted from the scene to a hospital in Indianapolis. Her condition was listed as critical but stable. She was in the hospital for nearly a week. The Florida firefighters were eventually able to put out this fire. One by one, EMTs brought out four little bodies on stretchers. Deputy Yoder suffered burns to his hands and face and smoke inhalation. He was airlifted to a burn unit in Fort Wayne, where he stayed for several days. He wrote a handwritten note to Officer Dissinger that read, quote, you saved my life, Josh. He later says that he has no recollection of writing this note. Dissinger was treated at the Lafayette Hospital. He, too, had smoke inhalation, but he was released Monday night. The two men had done everything in their power to try to save all four girls. Unfortunately, they just failed. The, the smoke was too bad. The fire was too big. And just think I have little fires at my house, you know, outside, you know, little bonfires. You're moving around those firewoods and boom, you get hit with some smoke and you start coughing and choking immediately. And that's of a little fire and you're surrounded by fresh air. Can you imagine how you'd react or how the body would react when you're hit with smoke and when you're gasping for air, all your body is getting is more smoke. The residents of the other half of the home, remember we have a woman with her two children that live there. She was able to escape that night without any injury at all. Luckily, her children were not home with her that night. Carroll County Coroner J.D. Cree announced that all four girls had died of asphyxiation due to smoke inhalation. Manner of death was listed as accidental. This was obviously devastating to the family, but also 
all the firefighters that were involved in trying to save these girls' lives, and it devastated the whole community. So they held the funeral at the local high school. This is one of those horrible situations that we hear about, Captain, where the first responders are now traumatized for months and even years to come. The funeral itself must be unbearable. We're talking about four children here. The Carroll Elementary School provided grief counselors for the students who all knew the girls. Students created banners and cards and posted them all along the walls of the school. And a candlelight vigil was held on Tuesday evening of that week. Afterward, people delivered meals to Galen Rose and her family and fundraisers and sales from a cookbook raised money for her to help try in some way to rebuild her life. Deputy Yoder, who we have already talked about, who was on the scene and tried several times to get back in the house, he was obviously devastated by the incident, as was everyone. He, when he learned that the girls had not been saved, he was crushed. He says, you know, I know these girls. I drove through Flora all the time for work and I would see them. He says, quote, those girls were always outside on a nice day dancing around. And the greatest thing is they would all stop, smile and wave as you pass by. He had often spoken with Galen, who was a cashier at a gas station in town. So he knew her as well. This is one of those situations. It's a small town, not a lot of people. And he shows up and he's responding, trying to save people that he knows, people that he has seen in his everyday life. Well, first responders get to know gas station attendants a lot because they stop in to get coffee at all hours of the night. And in a small town, if you're a cashier anywhere, you really get to know a lot of people in the community. These four girls were absolutely beautiful girls. Absolutely beautiful. And Captain, you know, 20 years ago, I worked at a gas station and I've always recommended here, if you work at a gas station, offer free coffee to all the officers, to first responders, get those people in your stores and take care of them. On that Monday, Captain, this was like 3.30 in the morning on that Monday. So now we have all this tragedy that happens in the middle of the night and we have fire investigators who are going to have to begin the process of sifting through the debris, rubble and ash to try to determine the point of origin because we have four fatalities here. We have an investigation that has to happen. Exactly. So we have assistant chief of the Burlington fire department, Derek Jackson, that said, it's just a fire that happened at night. People were sleeping and didn't wake up in time. Right. But it was not really that simple as we know. The Indiana State Police, they were the official lead investigative agency on the case. The actual on-the-scene fire investigation would require experts. The fire would be investigated by the Indiana State Fire Marshal's Office, which is part of the Indiana Department of Homeland Security. And this would be, well, a rather extensive an ongoing investigation. In the first few days, fire investigator Dennis Randall would only say that the fire was categorized as undetermined pending review of the structure by an electrical engineer. Most house fires and even business fires are 
electrical at the point of origin. Right. And so I'm assuming that that's what they were thinking they could be looking at here in this particular fire. And it's also an older building. That's correct. Throughout the years, the electric codes change, and part of the house possibly wasn't up to code. And so after a few days of investigation, they were not really sure what caused the fire. They were still listing the official ruling as undetermined even at that time. They were able to determine that the fire had started in the kitchen, possibly behind the refrigerator. And there are other reports out there that say that the fire started at the back of the house on the ground floor. I want to be clear about something here. It's not been, we're going to go through this along our timeline here. And even in these early stages of their investigation, the first couple days in, we're getting conflicting reports about the origin of the fire, where it started. They've not officially released to this day where that fire started. So when you hear us reading off different points of where the fire could have started, just know that nothing is absolutely official on those statements. These are from reports that have come out since the investigation has been going on. Well, and a lot of people think that it's possibly it was started behind the oven as well. You you hear that on several reports. The sad fact is they're renting this house. This is a mother, a single mother of four, trying to put her kids in the best situation that she can. They're renting a house without smoke detectors. Yeah, the the official statements that I have, or at least the reported statements that were coming out early on, was that no foul play was suspected, that a canine officer on the scene had found no presence of accelerants, and further investigation had found that a smoke detector at the top of the stairs on the second floor had no batteries in it, and it was melted from the heat of the fire. And there is a a portion of this statement here, Captain, that says there were no working smoke detectors in the part of the house where the family lived. Right. By early December... The Federal Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms had officially joined the fire investigation. It's not clear whether their assistance was requested or if they decided to jump in to this investigation. The case went quiet shortly after that as the investigators did their thing, and that is the end of any normalcy in this tragic case. From here on out, it goes kind of haywire, in my opinion. A little wonky donkey. Two months after the fire, on January 28th, there was big news. So remember, we've been told already by this point in our timeline that there was no reason to suspect foul play. Right. And that there were no detected accelerants by the canine officers. That the girls' deaths were still listed as accidental at this point and so on. But now... As of that January 28th, 2017, a press release from the state fire marshal's office stated that the fire was the result of arson. Again, we have fire investigator Dennis Randall. He said in a statement released on that Saturday, quote, the November 21st, 2016 Flora, Indiana fire has been ruled incendiary. At this time, there are no suspects. Investigators determined the fire to be incendiary after accelerants were found in several locations of the structure, end quote. So as you can imagine, Captain, this is huge news. Accelerants are found in several locations 
based off of this statement. Yeah. And this is several locations inside the house occupied by Galen and the girls. So the fire is no accident or the result of faulty wiring or even electrical short. This, we're now being told, is a fire that was deliberately set. Four young sisters who all died in a fire at their family home. Still unclear how the fire started. Investigators are looking at the first floor electrical system. The girl's mother injured along with two police officers who tried to save the sisters' lives. Such an early age, such a heavy loss. I miss them. She was a single mom working very hard. And like I said, her babies were her angels. I can't imagine what she's going through. Do you want to set your child up for success? Of course you do. That's why you need to check out IXL Learning today. IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids covering math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way. It's powered by advanced algorithms. IXL gives the right help to each kid, no matter the age or personality. There's one site for all kids in your home pre-K to 12th grade. Kids could use it at home on their computer or on an app on your phone or a tablet. No more grading those worksheets. IXL grades everything for you. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. I love recommending IXL learning. Kids can learn at home or on the go. And all my friends and family that are using it absolutely love it because it's so easy to set up and so easy to use. And even the kids that I've recommended it to their parents have told me, hey, Captain, thank you. I was having problems in math and my parents couldn't help me, but IXL could. Do you want to get your kids back on track or do you just want to get your kids ahead? Do so with IXL Learning. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And True Crime Garage listeners get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com slash garage. Visit IXL.com slash garage to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Check out IXL.com slash garage today. The best part of spring cleaning takeaway is the post-clean clarity you get. It's kind of like when you find out that you've been paying a fortune for wireless. When Mint Mobile has phone plans for $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all of your existing contacts. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. Save a lot of money with Mint Mobile. Get their great mobile wireless service delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. That's premium service at a great price. 
To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash TCG. That's mintmobile.com slash TCG. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash TCG. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factor's no prep, no mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients that you can trust. Make your day delicious from breakfast to dessert. Stay fueled with easy, nutritious options. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. I am new to Factor, and I have been loving every minute of it. I have a problem, and it's called lunch. Some days I need a pack of lunch, and some days I work from home. Whether I'm at home or whether I'm on the go, Factor is fueling my lunch from now on. Head to factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 and use code truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code truecrimegarage50 at factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. All right, we're back, and we just want to take a quick minute to wish all of you guys and your family a happy Turkey Day. A happy and safe Thanksgiving to everybody out there. Tall cans in the air, right? Cheers. Cheers. Now, for anyone who's paying attention to our cases that we cover here in the garage and the dates and locations that we have discussed so far, you may realize something pretty significant. Flora, that little town, abuts another small town in Indiana that was rocked by a crime in which two girls were murdered. Abby Williams and Libby German were murdered on the Monon High Bridge Trail in Delphi, Indiana, on February 13th, 2017. This was literally just three months after the Flora fire. So now we have six young girls who have all died under suspicious circumstances in just a period of three months and about a distance of eight miles away, right. all in Carroll County, Indiana. And again, these budding counties, they share community, they share community events, but they also share family members. So you have one county already grieving, and now you have another one grieving as well. It's it's very tragic time. 
for that region. And then you have the effect that this was going to take some of the resources away from the Flora Fire investigation, that being the Delphi investigation. Mm -hmm. So for one thing, as we know, newer cases always get the most attention from law enforcement. But some people have wondered whether this was a race-related issue. And if the four daughters that were killed in the floor of fire were white, some have said that the investigators would have continued their investigation with more vigor. Yeah, I don't know how much vigor it had, but the investigation definitely continued. So the four sisters case got no televised press conferences, no national news exposure, no public outcries that the culprit would be brought to justice. In fact, Robert Ives, the Carroll County prosecutor at the time, somebody who we've quoted here before when we've talked about the Delphi case, says he wasn't even notified that arson was suspected. Six months after the fire, he told Fox 59 labs tests have been done. Lab results have come back, but I haven't received anything like a final police report. Not one suspect had been brought to his attention, he said. And he goes on to say, quote, the floor of fire has had as much investigation put on it, as many people involved, as much serious consideration as probably any other case I've ever been involved in except for the Delphi murder. Well, obviously, it's going to be investigated by law enforcement, but this investigation is going to be trumped because it's going to be investigated by the firefighters as well. But I think one of the reasons why it didn't get as much coverage initially is because the reports was this is an accident okay if it's an accident it's a tragic event and we're going to talk about it and and now we're going to have these funerals the community is going to come together and now let's start working to move past this if it came out the night of the fires or the next day that no we believe this is a hundred percent arson then you're looking at a murder investigation right away. And I think that's one of the reasons it didn't get the coverage that it deserved. Yes, this is a horrible, horrible situation. Nobody's denying that. Neither, nobody should even be comparing which situation's more tragic. They're equally tragic. And I think you're spot on here, Captain. A part of the reason why we have less information or at least less news coverage and national outcry for justice here is the fact that you just said it was originally ruled or thought to be either undetermined or accidental. And so that takes a little bit away from that sentiment from everybody to begin with. But the other thing too, I don't know that it's really truly fair to kind of compare the investigations or the efforts put forward on these two cases. It doesn't feel to me like we're comparing apples to apples. It's a little more apples to oranges here because very few, we've been doing this a very long time. I have seen very few cases that have received as much attention as the Delphi murder cases. Yeah. Well, look, it'd be like every child that is murdered saying it's not fair that John JonBenet Ramsey's case got covered more than theirs. That's a good example. And then on top of that, in the true crime podcast community, a lot of the creators we know are more likely to cover an unsolved murder case than an unsolved arson case. They're just not covered as much in the true crime world. Yes, and I feel like with the Delphi case, really the 
there's only a handful of cases that I think have received as much or more publicity than the Delphi case. And I mean, we're talking John Bonet, the OJ Simpson case. There's very few out there. Now, what I do believe here in this case for the floor fire case is I would have liked to seen more eyes and earballs on this from the get go, because I do think that there's somebody out there that might know something, but the investigation itself has been a little weird. And that's why I said earlier that that's going to be the last of the normalcy in this case and in this investigation. Yeah. Because we, what we have here is first off, arson is very difficult to determine and investigate. Right. Now, the other problematic thing for the investigation itself is most states and cities do not have a high clearance rate when it comes to arsons, to clearing arson cases, meaning most of the time they don't make an arrest or get a conviction in the arson case. Like you said, it's a tough investigation because smoke destroys evidence. Fire destroys evidence similar to a crime happening and the victim being placed into water. That water is going to destroy so much evidence. And before we move on too far into the investigation, Captain, I want to make sure that I point something out, too, that really kind of ticked me off as I was going through my research and looking into this horrible fire case here. At some point, when there was no news of a good suspect or finger-pointing, to people outside of the home at some point some members of the public started pointing their finger at galen rose the mother of the three girls and i found that incredibly i think disgusting is the best word i understand that there's suspicion and that when there has been no answers and you cannot find the culprit of something so horrific as this that you want to find somebody to blame that you want to point the finger and say, I think that's why I think that's the person that did it. And that's why we don't have the answers. I get that end of it, but everything that I can see, she does not make a good suspect other than the fact that we know she was in the home that night. I see a woman here that has been destroyed. Absolutely destroyed. You think that community was destroyed Mm -hmm. by this event? Her life has been, it's been hell. I'm sure every day for her has been hell. And now we're coming up on five years since that horrible night. Well, my issue is that she's a she's a victim in this tragic event. Law enforcement know that. Firefighters and their investigators know that. To me, you have a duty to investigate this hard and fast. And if you can rule her out initially, again, you, you didn't say it was arson right away. So it gets less coverage with less coverage, less people talking about it, less likely you're going to have somebody talking and and have somebody confessing to a friend or something of of that nature. But also when you know that she was home, rule her in or out very quickly. And that's law enforcement, you know, three days into their investigation. If they know that she is not a suspect, you come out and you stand hard that she is not a suspect. And if you do that, then you stop the rumor meals and you stop having people online speculate and throw blame uh, on this lady that is already suffering. So I said that the investigation itself was a little weird and 
I think everybody will agree with me because what we have here is remember the press release that we just went through where they are now changing the undetermined status to arson. And so essentially, if it is arson, these four girls were murdered. Now, the problem with that statement, with that press release was we said Indiana State Police is the lead on this case. They were unaware that that press release was going to be issued. Mm. This was not agreed upon by all of the investigating agencies that, hey, we're ready to announce to the public that we've made a determination of arson here in this case. And then in June of 2017, we have arson investigator Dennis Randall, who abruptly resigned from his position. He was the one that released that press release saying that the fire was deemed arson after accelerants were found in several locations in the house. Now, he is on record saying time and time again that this disagreement between the agencies had nothing to do with him resigning. You know, some people work at a job for a very long time or have a career. We all retire at some point. But one thing that we should note here is some of this disagreement came about because there was a senior fire investigator from Michigan working for an insurance company on the fire case. He did not agree with Randall's assessment of the accelerants or how the investigation was being conducted. So in February of that year, he wrote a critical email to the Indiana Department of Homeland Security director and the Indiana State Fire Marshal stating the following. The January 28, 2017 press release by the State Fire Marshal about the conclusions of their investigation are not correct and completely based on speculation and not evidence. Also, the press release statement about accelerants being discovered in several locations is absolutely not based on any evidence discovered at the scene during the investigation, and the investigator, Dennis Randall, was not performing a proper origin and cause investigation based on the current procedures of the NFPA 921-2016 edition. This report filed and press release given by Dennis Randall is truly unfortunate and potentially a grave injustice for the four little girls that perished in the fire. Well, Colonel, what's your opinions on this? I think what we have here, Captain, is a situation where we might have too many cooks in the kitchen. We have about seven agencies involved in this investigation, Mm -hmm. and it seems to me like communication wasn't great between these different agencies. And I think at points in the investigation, some of their findings seem to be contradicting themselves along the way or other agencies findings. Right. So I think everything was set up with good intentions of working this thing together in the beginning. But again, you have about seven agencies that are involved in this investigation. I kind of feel like it was going to go wrong at some point given the number of people involved. We have seen in many arson investigation where one expert states that this is 100% definitive that it's arson, and then years later they come back and say, no, this is clearly accidental. This was faulty wiring. It becomes very convoluted and, and very hard to determine because we're not experts ourselves in this field. No, and we've seen that expert opinion change throughout the years. This is a science that they're still working on, that they're still working to perfect, like everything else. 
And so where we have cases that we've looked at that are 20, 30 years old, we look at them now in hindsight and go, I don't know if they got it right based off of the way that we see the science today. Right. And we could break down each point of this investigation, but it would take us hours upon hours. There's a lot of minutiae. But maybe, Colonel, you can just break down the major points of this investigation. Well, sadly, Captain, in its simplest form, what we are being told by the experts, the ones leading this investigation, members of that seven-agency team, is at first, it wasn't foul play, undetermined. Next, it was foul play. Accelerants were found in multiple locations inside the home. Then, uh, hold up, it might not be foul play. We are still investigating to going back to eventually it was in fact foul play. It was arson, but accelerants were only found in one spot and one location. And we're not being told exactly what that location was. Yeah. And when you have the community crying out for, Hey, if this is arson, where are the suspects? Tell us who these guys are. Is there somebody that we should be afraid of in our community? But this investigation can't get on the same track on if it was an accident or arson to begin with. Well, in 2017 in in December, they did a peer review, which I always like when these agencies do a peer review. So the Indiana State Police requested that the Indianapolis Fire Department send in experts to investigate the evidence that was collected at the floor of fire. And we have on record Sergeant Kim Riley. Anyone familiar with the Delphi case will know Kim Riley. He says, quote, it's a good practice to have fresh eyes review an investigation. And since this case is believed to be arson, the Indianapolis Fire Department was asked to conduct the peer review. By the end of January of 2018, the report from the Indianapolis investigators was in. They confirmed that the fire was intentionally set. However, accelerants were found in only one location in the home, not several. In the wake of this report, the Indiana State Police announced that the criminal investigation would continue. So things started to look promising when we have Doug Carter. Again, people familiar with the Delphi case know Doug Carter. He's the Indiana State Police spokesman. He spoke with local news stations at this time, and he said, Over time, people were starting to talk to us about that place, about that home, about that area and around the home. What might have been some of the activities in and around that residence in the days, weeks, and months leading up to the fire. He said police were not yet in a place where they could make an arrest, but, quote, I believe that we will, end quote. Since that finding by seasoned arson investigators over three years have passed, with no arrest, no publicly named suspects, and really no new information. So here we sit five years after the fire, and all we figured out by this point is that it was intentionally set. It is an arson fire. There was four fatalities, and accelerants were found in one location regarding this fire. Well, we're not getting a lot of information from investigators, so maybe we can get some information from the lawsuits in this case. Yes, Captain. In May of 2018, Galen Rose's attorney filed a federal lawsuit claiming that her landlords, this is Birch Tree Holdings, 
were negligent because there were no working smoke detectors in the part of the house occupied by her and her children. They also made a product liability claim against Sears and Whirlpool. The documents filed claimed that an oven and range manufactured by Whirlpool and sold by Sears was the cause of the fire because it was defective. Fire investigators had removed the range for testing. This part of the lawsuit, however, was dropped in 2020. This after extensive testing revealed that the stove was not defective. Galen also alleges in her complaint that the house also had a back door that had no functioning lock and some outlets in the kitchen that did not work. Repairs to the outlets took place just a couple of weeks before the fire. Obviously, arson mitigates the fault on the part of the landlord, but the reality is the non-working smoke detectors present a huge, huge problem for the landlords. Yeah, I feel like there's still that's still neglect. And again, you have a situation, you have a single mother raising four children. She's in a situation where, again, trying to provide the best home environment for her kids. This might just be what she can afford. And then sometimes you don't feel like you have a leg to stand on to go, well, the house doesn't have this and the house doesn't have that. And you need to make these changes because you're afraid, well, if they evict you for whatever reason, that you might not be able to find a better situation. Yeah, and we have the mother and family who have stated over and over again that they kind of feel like this case isn't being worked as hard as it possibly could be, that maybe it's been shoved under the rug since so much time has gone by. We do have the Indiana State Police that have pushed back on that idea a little bit. They have outwardly said, you know, we don't have any suspects in this case or we've not named a suspect in this case. They've said we have persons of interest. We have people that we would like to talk to, people that we'd like to track down and speak with that we've not been able to do yet. So uh, a little pushback coming from Indiana State Police. And in fact, we have some words from Doug Carter, the spokesman, that addresses some of that. He said, too, that he was frustrated by the stagnated investigation, but he also said that the family has failed to provide critical information to move forward the investigation, saying, quote, I'm hurt that they think we haven't done anything. Indiana State Police investigators have taken trips to Illinois, Kentucky, Ohio, and California in the hunt for clues. Carter hinted that the investigation had stalled because of a lack of cooperation. He said that while Galen spoke with investigators after the fire, she has avoided conversations with investigators about who had access to her home, Carter said. Quote, it's very important that we understand who's been at the house, who had been at the house, what those dynamics were, and people who did visit the home. And right now, we don't know what those answers are. We have to get access to the entire family, period, end quote. Well, again, all first responders to this, whether it's an accident or it was on purpose, the end result is four dead children that shouldn't be dead. And those first responders are going to have to live with that for the rest of their lives. And to think that doesn't affect them or that these 
the law enforcement doesn't want to solve this case is just, I, I can't believe that that is the case. No, I'm with you, Captain. I don't think that that is the situation here. I think that this arson investigation is a difficult one. I'm not going to sit here, though, and pretend that I don't think that they have made some stumbles, the investigators themselves, along the way. And there's been a little bit of controversy in regards to the original fire investigator and the investigation as it were. That Dennis Randall that we've talked about, his wife uh, was stealing money at one point. We're talking thousands and thousands of dollars from attorneys. Right. And she was eventually sent to do some jail time, some prison time for that theft. So there was already kind of a butting of heads between the Indiana State Police, Carroll County, and the fire department because while some of this investigation is going on, they're also deposing Dennis Randall to talk to him about his wife's misdealings and to see if that he is in anyhow involved or knowledgeable about what she was up to. Now, in the end, to be perfectly clear, they ruled that he had no knowledge of his wife stealing money. So while she was out doing these wrong deeds, he doesn't seem to have any awareness of it. Right. At least off of the based off of their findings, but it's not a good look from the outsider looking in that's going, look, it's been five years. What happened here? Well, you can't deny that he was distracted. Correct. Because of this investigation and to his, you know, let's just say it how it is, his dirt bag wife. And I don't want to call the Delphi double homicide case a distraction, but it certainly doesn't help keep your focus on this horrible situation, which has been deemed a crime. It's been deemed an arson. Right. Now, as far as suspects go, I think we can touch on that a little bit here because that's one thing that's missing from a lot of the news reports. I think it's fine, right? It's been five years, Indiana State Police. I've had your guys' back for a long time mm -hmm. when we've talked about Delphi and many other cases, but sadly, an Indiana State is just like any other state. There are many cases that are unsolved, but I cannot... I'm not going to shy away from my frustration that I'm starting to have with Indiana State Police and their poor record so far of clearing these very important cases. Well, let's just say how it is. We have six victims and then thousands of victims that are connected. They become victims because they're connected to the murdered victims Yes, and those murdered children. There's six murdered children that you have no goddamn answers for. Come on. They're they're batting a zero right now, and I feel like I'm still going to have their backs for a while. I'm going to give you another opportunity here, Indiana State Police, but the sad truth of it is, in regard to these two cases, it's not been a good look. And if you were on my baseball team, we probably would have cut you a long time ago. Well, if they don't get their shit together, I'm cutting their funding. <laughs> well, I'll tell you that. I'm not going to send any more beer fund money their way since very few people were talking about suspects let's try to talk about some suspects here and again this is going to be speculation on our part as we are not on the inside of this investigation and they've not allowed really anybody on the inside of this investigation so a man named mike virgin is one of the people who has been on the inside of this investigation and been inside the house since the fire he runs his own fire investigation company. He was hired by the mother of the four girls and her attorney. 
He has not worked with them for months by this point. But he has said on the record that he still thinks about the house and the case often. He said that he spent more than 15 years as a certified fire investigator with the ATF before starting his own company. So this dude's legit, right? He knows what he's doing. He's been to more than 1,000 fire scenes and investigated this one just weeks after it happened. There are still things that he does not want to share even while we're at the five-year marker here. Here's an exchange from an interview with him and a news team. The reporter here is Stephanie Zeppelin. Basically, Captain, he's saying... No relation to lead. He is saying that where he thought the fire started is where it started. Okay, so his initial suspicions, whatever his initial suspicions were, when he got there and conducted his investigation, his suspicions were confirmed. Zeppelin goes on to push him and say, and that is where. And Virgin says, I can't really say right now because if we get to a point in the investigation that they make an arrest, the only people that should know where the fire started is the person who said it and the investigators. Right. He says that he believes that the fire was an arson, but that the goal was not to kill the children. He is also not sure whether everything possible is being done to solve the case. If it's not to kill the children, then what was it for? Why was the fire started? He does, he's, he's being vague on purpose because he thinks that the answers to these questions would lead you to the person right. or, or may confirm once you have the correct suspect across from you at the interview table. Right. Well, because the Delphi case has been covered considerably more than this case, there are people out there that have tried to connect the Delphi murders to the Flora fire. I think it's fair to do so. We're talking about time and proximity to the two cases are relatively close. Mm -hmm. And the victimology is very similar. We're talking about young girls here in all the situations But to me, Captain, I look at this and I go, in the Delphi case, those girls were absolutely targeted. Now, how premeditated that was is up for debate. Right. But here at the floor fire case, you could almost say that the house was targeted. And I say that because I did quite a bit of research on serial arsonists. And a lot of times they will start setting fires to structures that are not occupied. Right. And then they will graduate for a lack of better word to structures that may have occupants inside of them. Some of them get so bad and so deranged at some point that they are purposely seeking out a structure with occupants to set fire to. One of the things I start questioning too, is like, like you said, maybe the house is the target and not the individuals in it. Because we have, it's a, it's a duplex. Mm-hmm. A lot of these older houses, they were at one point a single family home and then converted into like a duplex or to shared living. So again, it could just be as simply as, well, there's no lock on the back door. So this, you know, droopy dookie dung bucket found an entrance point into this uh, residency. If the fire was set inside. 
And that's the interesting thing there to me, because if you have a ruling of arson, right? typically in these situations, and again, it doesn't have to be a serial arsonist, but that's the statistics that are available for us to review. So that's the route that I went here. And what you have with a serial arsonist, typically they are only setting fires to structures from the inside when they are doing that to structures that they know to be unoccupied. Right. They're not going into a home or into a business and setting the fire from inside. Now, the ones that, quote, graduate to setting fires to structures that are occupied, typically they're setting those fires to those structures on the outside. And often, if it's a home, it would be to the porch area, either the front porch or back porch, maybe a garage. So something that's attached to the home, but not necessarily inside of the home. Well, again, like you said, you have to look at the victim's surroundings, the, the, the people that they're involved with in their lives, but it's again, a shared residency. So not just one side's relatives and their connections, but the other side's relatives and connections as well. And one thing that is certainly a possibility here that could leave the door open for not only the house was itself was targeted, but the occupants were somewhat targeted, whether they were known by name or, or what have you, is, look, there is a potential that this could be a hate-related crime, that this is some type of hate crime. Yes. We have a small population of people but we only have about 0.3% of them being African-American in Florida. Right. And this is no, I want to be clear here, this is no direct disrespect to the people of Florida because you can have an outsider come in and commit a hate crime in your tiny town and then leave. Right. But it's something that we should examine. You could target that house by saying, well, I know that African-American people live there. And so that is something that has been speculated on. And unfortunately, until we have somebody standing in front of a judge, we won't know what the motivating factor was here for the person that set the fire. I want to use the words of the investigators from what little words that they've released to us that I think might provide some insight to who may have carried out this crime. Again, everything that I'm seeing, Captain, and I think you might agree with me, points to the words that they're saying make it sound like the fire started inside the home that they believe that it was started inside the home yeah i agree and i think what backs that up is they're looking at the the range and the stove mm -hmm. they're also talking about we we heard the rumors or early statements that the fire may have started in the kitchen we hear the mother complaining about outlets not working in the kitchen area mm -hmm. and I'm with you. I feel like a serial arsonist does not feel likely here, but I did spend a decent amount of time looking into that because for some bizarre reason, Flora has a terrible record with house fires and has a, what I have to believe is a higher than normal fatality rate due to house fires, at least in the months in the years around this Flora case. So I went looking into those because sadly, once one thing that is not terribly uncommon when you have a serial arsonist is that it is in fact a first responder. In fact, I'll give you a quote here. 94% of serial arsonists are male. Very few are caught. 16% approximately are caught, but set 
maybe 30 or more fires before being caught. Mm-hmm. First responders set fires premeditated with intent to return to the fire in a professional capacity. That's beyond strange to me. It's not likely, but it's not terribly uncommon. Mm-hmm. And like you said, not a high success rate in this town. I mean, you're having a lot of house fires. Again, some of that is going to be due to just older buildings and not buildings that are kept up. I mean, when I lived in Richmond, Indiana, the thing that I was really shocked by, you know, where I come from in Columbus, when you're renting, you're normally renting an apartment or apartment unit. When I lived in Richmond, if you're renting, you're probably more likely to be renting a house, a single family house or a single family house that they turned into shared living. And again, not a great success rate anywhere in this country at solving these arson fires. But to give you some kind of background here on what we may be looking for as far as a speculation into a physical description profile of of a likely offender, mm-hmm. if it was somebody that was setting an arson fire that didn't have any ties to the family that wasn't inside the home or was not invited into the home, then what we're probably looking at here, Captain, and these are just national statistics, 44% of the arsons that are cleared in this country are committed by white males under, I'm sorry, 44% of the arsons that are cleared in this country are committed by individuals that are under 18 years of age and 64% are under the age of 25. Males make up, as we said earlier, that high percentage number of offenders and 75% of those arrested are white. 23% are black. So if you're going to put a number, if you're going to play a numbers game here on the physical description of a likely offender again if this is an arson not tied directly to the mother or anyone in the family we're probably looking for a rather young guy or somebody that was 25 or let's even go 29 and under at the time of this fire and given the makeup of the general area and the statistics that we see nationally it's highly likely that it might be a white male that committed this crime where the thing gets tricky is again, back to those words makes it sound like they believe that the point of origin to be somewhere inside the structure, which then takes away from the probability of it being a serial arsonist. Mm -hmm. That makes you go back to what Doug Carter has said that they don't believe that they've been given full access to the family or full access to the dynamics and what was going on in and around that home leading up to the fire. Meaning, let's say it didn't have a faulty lock. We would want to know things, right? Like who had a key? Who had access to the home? Who frequented the home? What would they do while they were there? These are all things that the Indiana State Police would like to know, especially if they believe that the fire started inside. And... If they believe that it was through the use of accelerants, they've probably identified the accelerant. Now, you said something off mic that is very important to remember. People keep accelerants around their homes. Mm-hmm. They're, they're part of our everyday life. This is one of those cases, right, 
where we have very little information. And unfortunately, it doesn't sound like they feel like they can come off of any of that information because later a conviction might teeter on the idea of who knows what. But also the public is really kind of handcuffed here where we can't offer much help because we don't know, one, who they're suspicious of, what kind of accelerant we should be looking out for, who was coming and going from that area, and if they're even right, if the investigators are even correct that it might be somebody that is tied to the family. Well, again, I want to go back to the possible connection with the Delphi. I just sent you a picture through text message. It was one of the, it was just a news article talking about the Florida fires. It was talking about local businesses donating stuff to the family. And you see a worker that looks like he is coming down the steps and he was probably in charge of boarding up the windows at the time. And this picture kind of sparked a lot of online detectives, armchair detectives going like, well, look at this guy. He kind of looks like bridge guy and kind of looks like he's wearing the same jacket as bridge guy kind of has that dumpy pouch look in the front of the jacket. Like he almost has items in his front pockets or something of the jacket. And look, I don't, I don't know how much weight there is to this, but I, I really think it's just simply, it was a picture and an image. This guy caught this person's eye or caught these sleuthers eyes and then use this as a possible connection between Delphi and Flora fires. It feels to me like anybody with eyeballs, somebody, somebody that can see has made these comments. I feel like bridge guy, a lot of people look like him. Obviously that's one problem that Indiana state police have had in that investigation. So right. many side by side, so many people giving tips that are simply this guy looks somewhat like him. I don't even think that we have a great picture of Delphi, of the bridge guy to begin with. Correct. Uh, so I think that that's caused a lot of confusion and a lot of problems. I see two very different cases here. Um, Me too. Based off but I of- just wanted, I just wanted to point out that like, yeah, when you see this picture and somebody goes, oh, well, that's happened right by Delphi. And doesn't that guy look a little bit like bridge guy? Mm-hmm. Somebody could go, oh, well, I could see somebody going down a rabbit hole and trying to figure out who this individual was and how are they connected, uh, not just to the floor fires, but how are they connected to Delphi? But I think it's a, it's just a rabbit hole. Well, speaking of rabbit holes, one that I found myself in, in regards to the serial arsonist or first responder arsonist angle to it, Mm -hmm. this is a very weird portion of the story. And I want to make sure that I cut everyone off at the pass here, rather than them contacting me and saying, did you look at this? Josh Disslinger, the officer that was one of the good officers that was trying to help, trying to get victims out of this house, who was sent to the hospital himself. Oddly enough, this is not the first time that he's responded to a house fire that has ended in fatality. Right. From the information I could find, Captain, this is the third situation in about six, seven years where he's responding to a fire uh, and running inside. So I want to make sure that we are clear here that we're not throwing him under the bus because this would be two very different people that we're talking about. 
One, this guy's running into burning buildings trying to save people. That's a much different guy than our suspicions of a first responder serial arsonist, right? I want to be very clear about that. I also want to make sure that we point out here, while the Flora fire that we're discussing today has been deemed an arson, the other two fires that I could find that he was one of the first responders to, in fact, I believe he was the first responder yeah, to they, the other fires. They were deemed Yeah, one was electrical. Yeah. One was an electrical fire and the other uh, they know the cause of. So we're not talking about a situation here where he's report repeatedly showing up to arson fires. Yeah, I could see somebody having a suspicion that, oh, you start this fire and then you show up and then you save the individuals and then you become a local hero because of it. But again, anybody that would do anything like that is deranged in my opinion. One thing I do want to point out and give kudos to a web sleuther for, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to get too heated at the whole web sleuther community here. I, I like the web sleuther community. And yes, maybe they come up with some far-fetched ideas sometimes, but the more that people are looking into these cases, the more that people are talking about them, the more pressure we have on law enforcement to actually solve these cases. I personally, I find that the internet has a lot of far-fetched ideas in these cases. As far as the actual web sleuthers go, right? I feel like they're a lot more spot on or more realistic and logical in their pursuit of justice in these cases. So I want to make sure that we point out here something very different from somebody just going, oh, this guy looks like that guy. Um, well, I do want to point out that true crime garage, it's been, it's a proven fact that true crime garage listeners are one, the best web sleuthers, more knowledgeable on, on crime in general and the best looking and best smelling listeners of all true crime podcasts. And that's a fact. That is a fact. Mm -hmm. That's backed up by science science and Edison research. This is something that's gone unreported, or I don't know if that's the correct word here, not reported, however you want to put it. But one thing that I think that's interesting here is that three weeks before the fire, a man named John Taden filed for divorce from Galen Rose. And again, there are literally no reports in any of the media about this or her even having a husband at all. Right. The only reason we know about this is because a savvy web sleuther user found the marriage dissolution petition. So I'm not saying that there's any, that this is any way connected to one another, but it is fact. It is something that did happen. So we know that John filed for divorce on October 31st of 2016. And the court website listing the parties to the petition as John's address was listed in Texas. So we don't know where he was in relation to Flora, Indiana. I mean, he very likely could have been at his home in Texas and had been there for weeks and months and months. But that is something that we did uncover when looking into this case. Well, again, this case is very confusing. You want to know why law enforcement is saying that she's the mother of these four children, why she's not being as cooperative as they think they sh that she should be. And it also could be a situation, hey, she's going possibly through this divorce. Is she afraid to come forward and, and 
to tell law enforcement to look into different individuals. We, we don't know that. Could she not trust the investigation itself is where I think that we might stand here. And I think that would make the most sense because, look, you're not coming out right away saying whether it's arson or an accident. And she was very cooperative in the early parts of this investigation. Well, and maybe her lawyer is saying, look, because the law enforcement has flip flop back and forth, maybe they're going to flip back eventually and say, oh, you know what? More findings. We don't think this is arson. Well, and, part of and, it, too. And, and will that affect a later lawsuit, a civil lawsuit down the line? Part of it, too, though, Galen lives in California now, which last time I looked at a map is nowhere near Indiana. And so where the right investigation be, right beside it may have stalled and where we have Indiana State Police on record saying we don't feel like the family's being overly cooperative with us at this point in our investigation, I, I would like to know why. Are, are we to believe that who is at fault because of that? Is it simply that she doesn't live in Indiana anymore and we've not made a great deal of effort to speak with her? Or is it simply the fact that she was a mother of four children that died in a fire and some people don't recover from that? Well, that's why she moved to California. She said, you know, early on, the the, the community, and she has thanked the community time and time again. Her and her family have thanked the community for their handling of this tragic situation and the way that they treated her and her family afterwards and tried to lift them up in any way that they possibly could. But, you know, she said, I couldn't live there anymore. I, I lived there with my four children. I drove by that house. It's near downtown Flora. She's like, I would pass that house and my, my life would be ruined over and over again. Yeah. I'm waking up to the same nightmare every day. Well, and think about like her job, like you said, if she's a gas station attendant, the amount of locals she's seeing every day, you know, if I went into that gas station, I, I'd want to give her a hug. I, I'd want to tell her, hey, I, I'm sorry for your loss. Hearing that hundreds and hundreds of times a day, as as heartfelt as it might be, it just it's like a dagger every time. And sadly, what I'm worried about here, Captain, as more time passes we know how all these cases go, be it arson or otherwise. It just becomes less likely that we will get justice for these four girls and that we will get some answers. This is such a tragic case. Take the time to go to our Instagram or Twitter or Facebook. We'll be posting pictures of these four beautiful girls and other photos that are related to this case. You can find those, again, True Crime Garage, wherever, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Indiana State Police are still investigating this sad and tragic case. They are still looking for the person or persons responsible. They would like information leading to the arrest of those persons or the person responsible for this fire. Remember, four young girls were killed in their Flora, Indiana home on November 21st, 2016, this was determined to be an arson fire. There is a reward for information. If you have any information, please, please reach out to the Indiana State Police. You can call them at 1-800-382-4628. 
you so much for listening. Thank you for letting us whisper in your ear. If you haven't signed up for our mailing list, go to truecrimegarage.com. Sign up on our mailing list. We don't like to send you a bunch of junk email. We like to send you some promo codes so you can get a discount in the store page. So make sure you do that. Colonel, do we have any recommended reading for the great listeners this week? Today we are recommending that you go cheer yourself up and enjoy some really damn good music. Go listen to our friend Lucinda Williams. Specifically check out her great album titled Good Souls, Better Angels. Lucinda Williams' music is available on Apple Music, Spotify, and pretty much wherever you go to find really great music. Check out Lucinda Williams and you'll find that great recommendation and great true crime book titles, documentaries, and plenty more on our recommended page at truecrimegarage.com. Yeah, and a big cheers to our buddy Travis. Until next week, be good, be kind, and don't litter. On this episode of Plant Killers, we'll explore one nation's most notorious fruit and vegetable killer, bad dirt. What makes bad dirt so bad? The answer, the ingredients. But fear not, true crime enthusiasts. This story has a happy ending. New miracle Grow organic raised bed in garden soil. It's made with quality organic ingredients from upcycled green waste like compost and aged bark. Unlike the other guys who can't say the same. Looks like bad dirt's murdering days are over. Thanks to miracle Grow. Join us next time on Plant Killers.